the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to In the Know, and we are here to talk about some news that has been stirring up as of late. There's been a couple comments here and there on various media platforms about some drama around the Pelicans, and I figured this would be a a good time to recap what's what's been said and kind of address what's going on. Uh, Joining me, as always, is Mason Ginsberg. Mason, you've... I'm assuming kept up with some of the news uh, recently. So, uh, I mean, just, just was for the fans, it's for the listeners. Um, Nate Duncan and John Hollinger, I've talked about on their podcast about Zion being unhappy in vague and unspecific terms. And then today, Sam Amick said on a Sacramento radio show that uh, the players didn't necessarily get along with Stan. I forgot the exact quote was, but he said, I think that's essentially exactly what he said, that the, the stand and the players don't get along and there's some drama there or whatever there is. Um, but yeah, Mason, I'm, I'm assuming you, you've you kind of stayed in the loop on, on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I have. Um, and and uh, I, I think one thing to keep in mind here is the source that it's coming from. I think there's, there's some, we've got to uh, find the right balance between reading, reading the tea leaves, like reading between the lines on this, because like Sam Amick and, and Duncan and Hollinger, those are all reputable guys. Like, and I, I, I think it's easy for us to just roll our eyes when stuff like that pop, this pops up. Um, but I think I think the real work that has to be done and, and what we want to talk about in this podcast is really what, what's what's beneath the surface. What is actually going on versus just like when there you know when there's smoke, there's not always fire. And I think that's when with a talent like Zion and a situation like New Orleans Zen we want to always find like, Oh, what's, what's the drama that's going on. And so I think it's important to really level set on, on this topic. So it's good that we're, we're doing this. 
Yeah, no, great, great point. Um, I figure we can kind of just just dive into the assertions, uh, if if that's fair to call them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess we can start talking. Uh, we can start talking about Stan Van Gundy and um, what this season was for the Pelicans. And this was this was not an easy season for the team. And you know the players have have said that. Griff has said that. Uh, it's come across painfully clear in, in, in Stan Van Gundy's press conferences as well. And obviously, every single team went through the the COVID protocols and the rough year. And so this is, this is not me excuse making, this is just me, you know, I guess setting the background as to, as to what's gone on. And so beyond all the COVID stuff, uh, it was a challenging year because one, there was a lot of roster turnover two um, new coach, new system, uh, short training camp, all that, yada, yada, yada. You've heard that stuff. And um, on top of that, they were just not a good team this year. They lost a lot of games. And when you lose a lot of games, and you have competitors uh, such as Stan Van Gundy, such as Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and a lot of other players on the team, you, there, there's going to be friction. People are not going, going to be happy with the outcomes. Um, people are going to get on each other's nerves. People um, may lash out. And so, you know, I think it would be more problematic if this was a losing season and, and people were complacent about it and they didn't react to it. And, and they, you know, everything was perfect and happy-go-lucky. I think that would be more of a problem in my opinion. But with regards to Stan specifically, uh, he is a very intense coach. He is very, very, very different from Alvin Gentry. I mentioned this on one of the Twitter spaces, um, but when it comes to making trains run on time, there is perhaps no coach more meticulous than Stan Van Gundy. Uh, There's no coach perhaps more meticulous than Stan Van Gundy when it comes to the preparation um, against opponents, when it comes to preparation of game plan, when it comes to preparation of practice. And Stan is, is really intense when it comes to that stuff. And if you're winning, it's really easy to kind of go with the flow. And and if you're losing, it's, it's, it can be grading. It can be difficult at times and, and challenging. And so it's not, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. There have been uh, several players on the roster who um, it was a little bit of a culture shock for them coming off of Alvin Gentry coming off of even Luke Walton before that, who is a similar coach to Alvin Gentry um, to be coached by a hard nosed old school coach, such as Damon Gundy. Uh, Some of those guys adapted. Some of those guys didn't. And, and, you know, relationships changed through as, as the year went on, but you know, there, there are definitely guys on the team, and I, I tweeted about this, who would much rather spend practice just shooting threes, not really doing things at a serious or a high level, um, you know, practicing infrequently, practicing only 45 minutes, than, you know, go through the regimented stuff that Stan had planned for them. And then, you know, it's not like Stan had a ton of practices this year to really – can, can uh, we, I don't mean to interrupt, can we level set for a bit though on that too, specifically? Yeah. And, and so when you talk about 45 minute practices, I, w- I want to be clear, is that basically what Gentry was running? Is that what certain teams in the league from your experience, is that what they, some teams do? Um, like where does this expectation or, or preference come from? Or is it just, a, just sure. a, an example? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think um, 
I forget who it was. I think it was JJ. It was someone at the beginning of the year uh, basically had this quote. Maybe it was Jackson um, that, yeah, like Alvin was doing 45 minute practices. These are like two hours right. long. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and so as far as practice goes, it, it varies from team to team in the NBA. You have teams like the Clippers last year under doc who barely practiced at all. And then most of their stuff was shoot arounds and, you know, like it was just low key keeping guys healthy and it was just maintenance stuff, right. You know, they're a high level team. They don't need that much. Um, and then it, you know, that they ended up biting them because some players didn't like that. They felt like it was catering too much to the schedule of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, or uh, they felt like it didn't have enough time to install culture, whatever. Um, but they didn't, they didn't practice that much. And then, you know, you have guys like Monty and Tibbs who, who practice a ton and and they really use that as time to install all kinds of things. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Tibbs has practiced a ton this year. I don't think, I think for the most part this year in the NBA coaches have not practiced a ton um, just because of the schedule constraints and the condensed nature of the year. And for the large part, the enormous COVID restrictions that the season had. So, um, but in the practices that Stan did have this year, uh, especially especially early on in the year I think it, it this changed dramatically as the year went on but especially early on in the year like it was they were hard practices and and you know you, you we kind of heard Stan talk about it in like the first few weeks it's like yeah I'm not even concerned about the offense I'm worried about transition defense I'm worried about you know rebounding all these things and and those are, are difficult difficult practices um, and some players didn't like that because you know they're coming off of a few coaches who had a more laissez-faire approach to practice. Um, and, and so again, take, take this for what it is or whatever you want it to take it as, but you know, um, over the course of the year, some guys just didn't adjust and they grew more and more. Um, I don't want to say like sour, but like, you know, like once you already have like a preconceived notion of, of, of a person like, Oh, like, you know, Stan's going to make us practice. And then he does exactly that. And then it just kind of reconfirms your belief. Um, that, that's what happened with some players. Some players like Jackson Hayes, who um, also went through the culture shock and then came out the other end, uh, a completely different player. And, you know, someone completely bought into the team, completely bought into improving himself, his role, and kind of had a reality check, like, oh, this is what it would take to succeed in the league. You know, some some players really benefited from that. I think, um, you know, I, uh, I think Jackson's one of those players. I think Nikhil has kind of always been one of those players. Is like you can coach him pretty hard. I'm pretty much from everything I hear about Nikhil, he's, he's the first guy in the gym. And, you know, I'm not trying to uh, tell another one of the stories where it's like, Oh, this guy's like a, you know, like a really like uh hard worker and all that, but Nikhil, late, taking jumpers after, after games, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 But Nikhil, Nikhil is legitimately, you know, like first player in the gym. Um, and, and that's pretty awesome. But, uh, but yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a culture shock for, for these players and, and some players adjusted some, some didn't. And the players that didn't adjust, um, they they like to talk to their former coaches in Sacramento. They they <laughs> there's two coaches there. Uh, <laughs> nice, plausible deniability. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's two coaches there, but there's there's one main coach that was there last year that um, you know if, if anywho you you know who that coach is. Um, and and they like to talk to those coaches, and those coaches like to talk to the media. And some of it's off record, some of it's on record, mostly it's off record. Right. And, and what's that, what was going on in Sacramento with the same Amic interview is basically they were justifying 
the high or the I guess the not firing of Luke Walton basically justifying keeping him uh, by saying like oh you got all these other teams where things aren't great you know they they used um, Indiana as an example they used New Orleans as an example and I think a couple other ones but you know that was their justification like oh well you know at least it's not like those locker rooms and um, one you know that's just like some of that stuff is like just like state sponsored propaganda, like the ownership and GM are going to tell you to say those. I mean, they're going to, they're going to tell you not necessarily to say those things outright, but that's what they're going to tell you is, is the reality. And, and, and when the, when the other reality is actually like, they don't want to fire Luke Walton because he has two years left on his contract and the Kings incurred heavy losses <laughs> over, over all, COVID. Shout, shout out. I think you've used the term state sponsored propaganda now on two straight podcasts. And that's truly impressive work. Yeah, man. I am. Mm, yes. Uh, <laughs> Pravda. Uh, anywho, uh, that one's reserved for clutch. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, I think what's, what's important here is, is one Alvin Alvin is a survivor. He has made it 33 years or however many years, three decades into the NBA um, by making good relationships, saying the right things, politicking at the right time he survives and that's truly a testament to him and he's genuinely also like a really nice dude like he's he's genuinely a very nice dude i don't, I don't want to say he's like this you know chatty kathy malicious guy but um he's very smart about what he says to who and so like if there's a player that you know call him up or, or, or you know run into him at the king's game and be like yo coach i miss you you know, something as innocuous as that, or like, you know, like I wish, you know, I could still be playing with you. something as innocuous as that. And I'm not saying this is exactly what Alvin did, but you guys can kind of put two and two together. If there are incidences where, where players are, you know, expressing to him that, that the adjustment has been hard and, and they liked his system or whatever the case may be. And Alvin is telling the media things. Well, there, there's a lot of like telephone to be played there. Um, and especially with like how you choose to say things, who you choose to say it to and all that. That doesn't mean, you know, there isn't like legitimate friction between, you know, Stan and, and some of the players on the team like that. There, there are elements of truth to that. Uh, it's just important to know where those elements of truth are coming from. And, and I'm not trying to absolve Stan of any, you know, anything on his part. I think, I think, he is probably a really difficult person to be around in, in this situation when, when one, like, you know, all, all the COVID stuff's going on, but two, like they're, they're losing and in the fat particular fashion that they were losing in. Um, I, I think Stan can stand to take a few chill pills. And I think there's a time and place. Like, I, I think, you know, oftentimes where Stan may have a legitimate message the way he says things sometimes the um, how he says things can come off as grating or off-putting. And I think a really good example of this was he, he had a layup question. It was like, you know, he could have dunked this. Um, someone asked him, I think it was like this two games to go or like last game. Someone asked him like, Oh, like how awesome, how good is like Wendy and Gabriel been in these limited minutes that you've given him and you know he showed a little bit of promise and it was like the easiest question like the dude's a non-guaranteed minimum contract guy playing in a meaningless games and uh, you could easily be like yeah man we love his energy and you hope it continues to improve whatever you could give him you can you can give a very uh political <laughs> answer yeah. um alvin was great at you know those kind of answers stan mixed bag 
mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. And uh, it's just like, dude, <laughs> like, come on. Like, what, what is, what, why can't you just like, let it go? Like, be like, yeah, like he's been, he's been good. We'd like him to work on, like, you know, there, there's, there's a way to say things. Like, I don't think Stan's incorrect, right? Like he's not saying anything factually incorrect. It's one of those things. It's like, you're not wrong, but you're being an asshole. Um, and, and Stan may not realize he's doing that uh often and i think it can get to the point you know i I think that kind of stuff can get exhausting over time um but but i don't think you know it's it's anywhere near one of those situations where you know people are like oh he's lost the locker room or you know he's um the 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 team is turning on him i think the pelicans are are really far removed from that kind of situation um i I, good to hear. Uh, I, I think when, when it comes to stuff like that, I always, I, so I used to just want to read too much into it, but I think the more you hear about situations like this, the more it's like, well, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's a game of telephone. And eventually you get to a point where the, de- the Delta between what actually is happening and what, and what people are saying is happening is wide enough that we've got to talk about it. <laughs> and it, and it really, um, you know, address the, the situation. So, I mean, is that, I, I think what's on most people's minds when we talk about something like this though, is, is just like the players specifically, not just like Stan as a coach, it's probably just like players and specifically two, two players. I mean, really when it comes down to it, the, the point you made about Jackson Hayes, about Nikhil Alexander Walker are both great as those are young players who, you know, ideally grow with this team uh, and continue to improve and become uh, and Pelicans for a while. Um, but let's talk about the main guys. Uh, and that's, that's really Zion and BI. And I don't think, uh, I think those are by far the two most important names to consider here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, speaking, I guess, first on BI, uh, there's kind of this like story going around on Pell's Twitter that uh, he, you know, there was an incident at practice or something where he was getting shots up. The music was up loud. Coaches were meeting on the court um and you know coaches asked him to turn it down he basically wasn't having it something something to that fact and um i think you know situations like that are uh often blown up out of proportion and you know i'm i'm not going to comment on if that story is true or not but i will say like you look at teams across the nba like i first thing i want you guys to do is google draymond green steve kerr fight <laughs> and then you'll find an article every single year from 2015 that basically says, you know, literally says in the headlines, uh, Dave, Draymond Green and Steve Kerr almost come to blows. Uh, fight, uh, you know, their altercation almost gets physical, has to be restrained, that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, nothing with the Pelicans um, has gotten anything close to that. And And so like normal you know, getting, getting feisty or, you know, like being chippy, that stuff happens in every single NBA locker room. And so when, when a team is losing and those kind of stories come out, they're often blown up and made to be much more than they actually are. And then when a team is winning and those stories come out, it's like, oh, these guys are just, you know, being competitors, Right. You know, you have stories of like Marcus Smart throwing chairs or punching walls and stuff like you hear this. It happens in every single locker room um, where we're, you know, guys are competitors to make it in the NBA. Like you're you're one of 450 players. You 
you've got to have a, a certain level of, of competitor in you to even get that far. And, and so, and that includes the coaches. If you're one of 30, you know, head coaches in the NBA, like you're, you, you, you're, you're a competitor and Stan, you know, he hates losing. And, and that's, you know, that's why his like personality can reflect that at times. And NBI is as fiery as anyone. Um, and so, you know, if something like things, stories that come out like that are, are generally, I think, blown out of proportion. And if there's true dysfunction, it spills and it's, it's really difficult to hide. And, and the players are, and the coaches, whoever wants to, to let the dysfunction be shown to light, they're good enough. They're media savvy enough to talk to the right people, talk to the right media uh, and get their stories out there. Um, and, and there's a reason you haven't seen any of that with the Pelicans because it's, yeah. it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I think the, the, uh, there's a there's a part of what you said that may take fans by surprise and when you said the eyes as fiery as anyone i really think that you know, when, when you think about who, the the dude bi who does the post-game interviews even the guy on the floor you don't get that vibe from him but but at the same time i think it it it, it doesn't really matter because like you said all these guys are competitors they they have and there are egos for every single person on on every team in the nba you you've got to have that streak in you to make it as far as these players across the league from the bo- bottom to LeBron James to, to make it. And so I, I think that's important to keep in mind that just because a guy like the I may come off as pretty mellow and, and chill talking to media or like even, um, you know, in, in the middle of the game, you, you don't have to be screaming after every made bucket to be a guy who really, you know, who's going to have a point of view and can have opinion it feels like their opinion should be taken seriously. Um, and so th- that's, that's kind of where this comes from. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think Andrew Lopez of ESPN are a really good example of BI being fiery where this was last year before Brandon was, uh, had signed his max contract that they were talking about, um, no, you know, the fact that they didn't come to an agreement on an extension and they were talking about other players who, who got max contracts and BI said something like, you know, line up these motherfuckers. I'll beat every single one of them one-on-one, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and so, yeah, sure. so he, he, he definitely has that in him, but with regards to his and Stan's relationship, um, it was definitely a culture shock for BI uh, given, given his, his um, experience in the NBA, given the previous two coaches he had. And, and there was definitely an adjustment period. And then there's that, de- there was definitely a period where, you know, like, uh, Stan and BI don't didn't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, um, but as far as I know, that relationship got uh, progressively better um, throughout the the course of the season, and and by the end of it, you know they they are about the same things in terms of they both want to win and they both understand that the the roster um, needs, needs needs to take a step forward, and and that will come when when the two best players also take a step forward. Um, and so, again, I think it's one of those things where, like, we've probably all had coaches that we didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the whole time uh, or agree with. But it's not one of those things where we, like, hate that coach's guts or uh, or sick of it and then just want to leave or, you know, anything dysfunctional like that. It's I think it's, again, like, if you haven't played sports, consider it as a situation where you've probably, like, had a manager at a job that you weren't, you know, you weren't in love with. And, and sometimes those relationships get a lot better over time, which is what happened in this case. And, and sometimes they deteriorate and sometimes you don't even, you, you don't need it to be a great relationship. You just need it to be a work relationship. Like you both show up, you get your work done. 
um, and you go home and, and it is what it is. And, and you don't have to like the person you work with, which, which, yeah, you're saying. Yeah, no, and beyond that, even the best working relationships have, have, have bumps, right? You're not going to get along with, with your boss hundred percent of the time. That's just, it's not reality. And so I think, you know, even you can, like, like you're saying, you can, your relationship can improve over time, but still you're going to have bumps because of whatever things happen on the practice floor you lose. And so there are other emotions that really take over. I mean, all these things, I feel like, just like you said, they're relatable to anyone who's at a job, not just athletes. So hopefully that resonates a little bit. Yeah. And, and in fairness to, to BI, uh, it was a culture adjustment for Stan as well. Like, you know, he's been, he hasn't, he hasn't coached in a couple of years. He's coming to a particularly young team, which I don't think he had even in Detroit. Um, and he's coming in a really weird year where he tried to run practices and, and things like he would a normal year where uh, this year it's particularly difficult to do that. And the avenues for players to vent and, and blow off steam were extremely limited in the beginning of the season when they like literally could not go see anyone. They couldn't have hotel guests. They couldn't go out. They couldn't, you know, all that kind of stuff basically until the end of the year, until they got vaccinated, it was just off the table for them. And so uh, when you're losing and, and and you don't you don't get the perks of of being the NBA player that you are and and being able to wield your stardom in any city you go, um and and have fun outside of the job, that shit becomes difficult. And and you know for a guy like Stan who just lives for the job, um having constant exposure to him is, can can get tiring. And so Stan had to make an adjustment himself as as well as as he learned how to to work with the younger players. Um, and, and again, I think if it, this was, and if this was one of those things where it was d- deeply problematic, problematic, the stories would be coming out on, um, I think bigger platforms and not, not to say like, you know, Sam Amick and, and Nate Duncan and John Hollinger are like irreputable again, like they, they've, they've, they've heard the same stuff. Um, they've probably heard it from some of the coaches that we talked about. And there's a reason it's, it's, it's part, it's a very small part of a bigger conversation on a podcast versus being something that's in an article or something that's like really a, a core component of something that's been written, I think is, is, a, is a key difference here. Yeah. You, you guys have seen the Woj hit pieces when they come, uh, <laughs> yeah. you guys have, you know, even, even this year with, with the, with the Pacers, the Nate Bjorgen, uh, I don't even know if I pronounce now on to sleeper sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product. Unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on sleeper too, by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under, for example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. That's the name, right? Uh, but it, the, basically like the rumors that came out about him that, you know, the, the players weren't happy with him and he's kind of, abra- he's an abrasive personality and, and all that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, Jason, there's been Jason Kidd stories. You can Google them on ESPN. Like the, the nightmare stories always come out. Um, if, if they're there.
and 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 so the players again have have really good avenues to to let media know what's going on if they wanted to let them know what's going on the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news we dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the fed marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to listen to marketplace wherever you get your podcast um and then so the other player zion uh i think that's that's much less of a concern um from from everything that i've i've heard uh zion doesn't have a problem with coaching it's it's fine with, with zion i mean he's not he's clearly not happy with the outcome of the season and and the fact that they lo- they were losing and i think he he really wants roster improvements. And I think the Zion conversation is a, is a separate conversation than the Stan conversation because it's, it's much larger, right? I think um, Nate Duncan and John Hollinger were talking about Zion's unhappy. Uh, and they're there. I think I, I didn't listen to the Hollinger one. I listened to the Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue one and his basic premise was basically, um, you know, they haven't won. And um, Zion made these comments about New York and, uh, I think there was a couple other things that he mentioned, but they were, they were just a lot of like hearsay stuff. And, and look, Zion, Zion's a competitor. He wants to win desperately. And he doesn't want to have this legacy of missing the playoffs, knowing how good of a player that he is. And he can be, especially uh, with respect to all time greats. He, he wants to be in a position to compete at those levels too. And so he's not happy with that stuff. He wasn't happy last year with some of how his, his minutes restrictions were handled. Uh, and his and his training was ha- handled, but all that stuff that stuff is in the rear view. Like Zion had no minutes restriction issues this year. Period. Stan played him how he wanted, whatever he wanted. Uh, Stan empowered him with the ball. So like coaching is is not the issue in Zion's eyes. It's it's like get me a good team. And and so I think it's easy to sort of it, the Zion conversation. What what what's difficult about it is um, there's a level of Oh, like it's, you know, like he's young, we'll get better. Um, we have a little bit of time. And then there's, there's the other side of it. It's like, well, his rookie extension is up for grabs next year and he doesn't sign it. Then the threat is on DEFCON level one or whatever. And, and it's tough to balance the conversation with, with Zion on that. Um, I do think that Zion not signing that extension is more of a reality than people are comfortable acknowledging. Um, but again, a, a lot can change in a season and it's up to the coach, the front front office to supply a roster that makes a good team. I, my experience, and maybe I'm, I'm not in the right uh, part of, uh, Pell's, Pell's Twitter or, um, overall discourse, but I, I feel like fans are at the point where they're, maybe they're, they're comfortable acknowledging it. Um, as a risk, but maybe just because they're just sad at this point and <laughs> just used to the same, same, everything going wrong over and over again. But my experience has been, it's, it's, I haven't, like, if we say something like that, the pushback is not maybe what you might expect it to be almost, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we, we met, talked about this the other day that it's, you have to approach this next season. Like that's a, it's a, 
it's a real possibility. Not not saying over 50%, like let's not get carried away here, but it's not very much non-negligible chance if the next season doesn't go right. Yeah, there's there's very much, you know, a doomsday scenario in play out there. Uh, I don't want to get full doomsday prophetic yet um, because, again, that implies that there's a really good chance of it happening. No, I think – but. I think it exists. I, I think it's not one of those things where you're like, ah, oh, yeah, no, it's a short thing. It's not going to happen. Um, but, but I think a lot of the noise with Zion um, and a lot of the noise around the organization can get cleaned up really quickly if they put together a good team. And, and we've sort of seen it uh, time and time again with various teams and I talked about how the Knicks have gone from a laughing stock. Their ownership was a total joke to now no one's written anything about their ownership. The ones, you know, if the Knicks sucked this year, people will be roasting them for drafting Obi Toppin um, because he's not good. And they've been like, Oh, LOL. It's the Knicks. They missed on another draft pick. They can't get anything right. And he's not been good, but they've been good. So no one really cares about that. Same thing with the Suns. you know, like their, their draft pick Jalen Smith, um, the the stretch four stretch five guy that they drafted uh where they could have drafted Tyrese Halliburton they could have drafted any number of players actually that would have that would have helped them out this year they would have been getting roasted like oh well look they're they're the shitty Suns organization again and Sarver who is a terrible owner by all accounts um you know I had had a Suns fan friend telling me that like there are fans in, in that fan base who are like now defending Sarver like oh he's he's turned the leaf um, all because of like one winning Goodness. season. And so really with any organization in, in pro sports, you can turn a, a molehill into a mountain um, out of any particular incident, any particular issue, if the team is losing and the team continues to lose, right? If, if the Pelicans come out of this in two years, three years, four years, whatever, and Zion wants out, and he's leaving and um, the Pelicans haven't been successful in that time, all of these stories are going to come out and more, right? You're going to have all of these things come out about how, Oh, like, you know, David Griffin did this or Stan Van Gundy did this or BI did this or whatever. Like everyone's going to have something to say about it. Um, But if, if it's one of those situations where, you know, this is a deep playoff team for the next three or four years, none of that stuff gets published. None of that stuff gets talked about. And, and that's just the business. And that's what it's going to come down to is, is the Pelicans being able to put forth a team that is good. Um, Do you see, I mean, is there a scenario where, um, you know, I, I, I think we all understand that the Pelicans and Stan Van Gundy are, you know, they're good. There's that relationship is going to keep going. Uh, the question is how long, I mean, do you, do you feel like there's any sort of real risk uh, with his employment status? I mean, let's, let's say like next year that it, you know, they, they achieve about expectations are slightly below, like not, not crashing and burning. I mean, do you see a situation where like player relationships cause a a need to move on from Stan? It sounds like that doesn't feel like a big risk, but I want to gauge where you're, where you're at on that. I think it's on the table. Uh, I, I think, you know, I said it in one of the spaces that like, I'd be shocked if, if Stan gets a, a second contract with the team mainly because I think that's more on Stan. I think he'll, he'll want out of coaching by then. He's, he's pretty old and 
Um, this is a very taxing job. I think he'll want out of coaching by then. And I think at that point, the Pelicans hopefully, you know, are ready to take another step up. And then, you know, you bring in, you, you, you brought in the teacher, you brought in the guy who set the foundation and taught them how to be basketball players. And then you bring in the ceiling raiser, right? Um, kind of like in theory, what you, what you were supposed to do with Bonte and, and Alvin and, you know, never really played out that way. Uh, kind of what happened with Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr um, or, you know, Nick, like Dwayne Casey and Nick nurse. And um, it, it's in one of those situations where you would like that to, to be next. Obviously it's impossible to predict the the future, but I, I do think it's on the table that like, you know, if, if next year's disappointing and, and the players are, are dissatisfied with Stan as, as a result of it um, again, like fair or unfair, I, I think there's definitely a world that exists where the players don't, or, you know, just say they've, they've had enough of Stan um by next year if, if they aren't good and if, if that's the case i can i can see them parting ways whether it's stan deciding to retire or them actually firing stan i think i think the retirement's more likely than a firing um i think stan's pretty prideful yeah. but but you know I, i've already told you my conspiracy theory my conspiracy theory and this is completely unsourced and so like do not run with this guys if you're tra- <laughs> this is completely unsourced there's no there's no basis of truth to this i don't my think my favorite so. part of the podcast let's go <laughs> um but my conspiracy theory is that they're they're grooming Teresa Witherspoon to be the heir of of Stan Gundy and and so like if if the issue comes down to player relationships well who has player relationships in the bag that's, that's Teresa Witherspoon like the players respect the hell out of her and Zion respects the hell out of her which is the most important thing, obviously, you want you know all fifteen players or all seventeen players to to be on the same page here. Um, but but you know the players absolutely respect the hell out of her. She has a lot of cachet um, league wide. Uh, a lot of players league wide respect her, and so I think when you're when you're you know if it's if it's going to be Zion's third coach in in however many years then it's an easier transition to, to promote someone in-house who is kind of already there. And, and we've seen it. We've seen it with, with David Griffin when he fired Blatt and, um, and, and he promoted Tyloo in, in the middle of the season. And so it's not, I'm not, I'm not taking that completely off the table for things to deteriorate enough, but that's going to be David Griffin's job is to supply them with a the roster and make sure they don't deteriorate. Yeah. Because things are infinitely more combustible when, when you're losing. And, you know, yeah. David Blau was fired um, after a winning season. Uh, but, and so it's it's not, you know, it's, it's not exclusive to losing or winning. It's just so was Monty. Are, <laughs> right, right. And so it's not exclusive to that. It's just things are more combustible when you're losing. Um, one thing, one perspective I, I did want to bring up, I think I, forget, I failed to mention is that, um you know, there are going to be players who who just don't take the coaching, no matter like who the coach is, unless they're like a truly like laissez-faire players only type coach. And we've we saw that in Minnesota with when Tom Thibodeau was there, we we saw how how Wiggins and Towns kind of responded to that. And now I think Wiggins is a a different player uh, since then, but it's taken being traded um for you know like they sent assets to move him um and then being put in on the warriors for him to like come to that realization that oh okay like you know like i need to change my mentality a little bit um but you know there's going to be players you just can't get to 
And, and to me, you know, if you're one of those players, this is just my opinion speaking. If you're one of those players who take issue with being coached hard and just want easy practices, um, that's more telling of the player to me than, than it is of the coach. And I, I would take a good hard look at if I want those players around my, my players I hope to grow with. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, I, this is, this is the gold standard, but like I think about the Spurs and pop and it's, it, it's to a point, obviously players around the league respect Popovich for what he's done in his, his career and the type of guy he is, but also it's, uh, just almost as much on the Spurs and the type of players that, that they typically bring in. I mean, obviously you, you know, uh, you're going to get situations like, like Kawhi and, and, and from time to time. But I think broadly speaking, they found players that, you know, they feel like not just fit their system, but will fit the culture in, in San Antonio. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it can conflict at times with our recent conversation around just get talented players. Uh, but I think, there, there is a, a, a real uh, argument to be made for finding, you know, the right types of guys and, and maybe just like the, the, the ones that absolutely are not going to be receptive to coaching. Um, you know, those are the guys you want to want to think differently about, um, you know, d- just just kind of depends, you know, especially if you haven't done anything in the league yourself as a player, you know, like you're on your first contract and you haven't made the playoffs ever. You haven't contributed winning in a high level like if, if, you know, like if you, if you have certain opinions, you're entitled to them, right? Athletes aren't robots. Like they're allowed to not enjoy their place of work. They're allowed to have work preferences. You know, they're, they're all human at the end of the day. But mm-hmm. um, when you, when you're trying to set aside individual goals for the collective, which is an essential part of team sports, um, you know, some of that stuff isn't, isn't conducive. And, and, you know, it's funny you bring up the the Spurs, like, people will be shocked, um, you know, about, uh, like it's, it's people think that like Tim, um, and, and Manu and Tony and, and them always got along with each other and pop. And, and like, I, I think you guys will be shocked about some of the stories with Tony Parker, um, and, and how the Spurs may, may have felt about him at certain points in his career. And, and it's just one of those things where if you win, no one cares, no one cares at all. And, you know, you do your job and, you kind of get it done. Right. I mean, like Kawhi, Kawhi won a championship with the Spurs and then, you know, he had a falling out, whatever it's, it happens. And, and then the Spurs moved on and Kawhi moved on. But if, if the Spurs, if, you know, were a historically losing franchise and Kawhi did that, you know, they'd be, they'd be laughed at. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we've covered uh, the situation with, enough nuance i'd say do you do you feel like we do you feel like there's any any spots where we can elaborate more no i think we, i think we've hit it pretty well and, and talked a little about hypotheticals even um moving forward but um you know um i i don't think i have uh any anything else um uh, what about you yeah i think it'll be interesting to watch this off season uh and, and see see what they do um i think Again, I think some of these stories you can share more in pro- posterity after things have been said and done. And, you know, there's a time and place. Like I think on this pod, we've, we've talked about, you know, stories with Anthony Davis. We've talked about stories, um, you know, like when, when Monty was around and, and all of that, uh, things that may have been happening behind the scenes. And um, 
And yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see if we can reflect upon this at a later date, whether this comes crashing and burning down uh, or, you know, whether this results in a resounding success, we'll certainly be able to, to look back and see like, hey, this is things that happen and this is where they let them. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we should we should do that um, maybe at some point over the next couple of weeks. We both like look listen to our season preview podcast that we did. Um, I assume we did one and then kind of <laughs> revisit the things that we either got right or wrong, um, given how the season went, probably a little bit more wrong than right. And then just see uh, and, and talk about it. I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting. Absolutely. Anyways, thanks for listening, folks. And uh, I know there's probably some of you that are, are going to get angry at this, that we didn't name names and we said a bunch <laughs> of stuff that could be speculation. Whatever, man. If, if that's what you want to take from it, go for it. But, um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Hope you all had a good time. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.